Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. I think food has always been the thing in my life that's sort of been like the thing that I'm the most passionate about. I started reading cookbooks when I was probably like four. I'm Robin Sessingham, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Hey, if you're listening on your computer or you clicked a link from social media, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. We are so glad you're here. And we'd love for you to subscribe. It is absolutely free. And that way, each episode will download automatically to your phone or your other mobile devices. Just go to thezestpodcast.com and click on how to listen to a podcast. Today, we're talking to some of Tampa Bay's favorite food personalities. Meet Helen Freund, the new restaurant critic for the Tampa Bay Times. What's it like to eat out nearly every day of the week? Sounds fantastic. Plus, blogger and social media sensation Isabel Lasig, a.k.a. Family Foodie, offers advice for making family dinner time the highlight of your week. Helen Freund has some big shoes to fill, but she's ready. Helen's the new food critic for the Tampa Bay Times, replacing the newspaper's longtime food writer, Laura Riley, after Laura took a job with the Washington Post. Helen recently stopped by our studio to talk with me about how she got her start, the stories that she hopes to tell, and the one thing that she could never eat. Helen Freund, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about your background a little bit. You just arrived here from New Orleans, mm-hmm. where you were the food critic for a Alternative Weekly. Yep. Yeah, I was the uh, restaurant writer and food critic there for the last four years. Uh, They're called Gambit Weekly. And then I was also a contributing features writer for the New Orleans Advocate, which is sort of like the, the daily newspaper there. And you had been a reporter at the Times-Picayune before that, right? A general assignment reporter? Yeah, yeah. I moved to New Orleans from New York in 2012 to join the Times-Picayune. I did a lot of, like, I started out doing general assignment. General assignment in New Orleans tends to be crime. Crime. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I quickly sort of, like, got into criminal justice. And then I was the courts reporter for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So you were there long enough to really fall in love with New Orleans. Oh, yeah. it's It still feels like home. Yeah. And food there is king. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was the restaurant editor at the Alt Weekly, but we had several other restaurant writers for other papers there. It was an incredibly competitive beat, more so, I think, than in most other cities, because food news there was, I mean, that was like the biggest news. Top news. That was top news. Yeah. You also did a stint at the Cordon Bleu 
cooking school in Paris. I did. When you were young. Yes. So you have <laughs> sort of, even though you you went into reporting mm-hmm. and general reporting and crime reporting, you always sort of knew that you had this love of an interest in food. Yeah, definitely. I think food has always been the thing in my life that's sort of been like the most, the thing that I'm the most passionate about. Um, I knew that I, I started reading cookbooks when I was probably like four. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. I remember, I actually remember my first cookbook. It was, uh, I was living in the Bay Area and, uh, you know, Alice Waters has this restaurant there called Chez Panisse that's kind of this iconic restaurant in the area. Um, and she wrote a cookbook uh, about her daughter, kind of a kid's cookbook called Fanny at Chez Panisse. And my parents got that book for me. And I think I remember them getting like maybe a whisk or like a kitchen gadget of some kind. And I think I was five tops, maybe four at the time. And since then, I mean, that was it. And you thought magic. I just, yeah, I just spent the rest of my sort of like adolescence, like pouring over cookbooks and gourmet and Bon Appetit magazines. Um, I didn't know that I wanted to be a food writer necessarily, but I also think that at that time, you know, food writing didn't really become as big of a thing until like probably about 10 years ago, right? It wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't that cool yet. Um, so I never thought that that was really something that I had the chance to go into. For me, I Well, it was yeah. so regional, too. You had Ruth mm-hmm. Reichel, mm-hmm. you know, but you just had, like, New York or L.A. Exactly. You didn't have them at, at more smaller towns or regional no. papers like you do now. Yeah, definitely not. Um, so, yeah, so I, I went to Le Cordon Bleu. Uh, I was – I took a break between my – I went to the University of Washington for school in Seattle. I took a break between my sophomore and junior year – And I think I realized when I was in culinary school that I wasn't 100% that I wanted to be a chef. I I loved it. I've never enjoyed school more than I did during those months there. Um, But I knew I wanted to go back and, like, finish my journalism degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't actually want to do the thing. You want to write about the thing. Yeah, they're two very different sides. I worked as a chef for a couple of years in New York City. But at that point, I was already in my late 20s. -hmm. And I I realized that it was taking, like, a real toll on my body. Really? mm -hmm. How so? I I mean, you know, so I worked as a catering chef. So we would do these like huge events like weddings in the Hudson Valley or the Hamptons. And I'd leave in the morning. I'd be in my feet all day long. And then I'd take the train home at night. You know, I'd get home at like two o'clock in the morning. And I would just realize like my back started hurting and my legs hurt. And I felt like, (laughs) but I was also like 28, 29. And I was, I think that at that point, I, I realized, like, I love doing this, but I can't make a living doing this. And it was a crazy schedule. It, it was a crazy like. schedule. Yeah, definitely. And you like to cook. I love to cook. Yeah. Yeah. Are, do you get a chance to as much now? Because you, you're no, probably eating yeah. out all the time. I mean, and I've been doing this job now for four and a half years, going on five. Um no, I don't cook as much as I'd like to. I try to make a point of cooking at least once a week, like something mm-hmm. new and trying it because I love like kitchen projects. Um, I also think there's something very cathartic about like following a recipe for some reason. It's like that structure that kind of like, I don't know, at the end of a long day, if I'm having, if I'm exhausted, like for me, like instead of going out, like I would like to go home and like bake a cake or like, you know, huh. <laughs> so I do try to do that. But yeah, with my job, I mean, I'm going out to eat a lot. So it makes it tricky. How how much? What's it? What's a food critic's life like? You know, when I was in New Orleans, because I'd been there for longer and I was more established, I was probably doing maybe like, I'd say twice, two or three times a week mm-hmm. here because I've got so much catching up to do because I'm really not only reviewing a restaurant each week, but also trying to get a grasp on Tampa Bay's culinary scene as a whole. I'm probably going out closer to like five times a week, maybe six. 
<laughs> so what's your impression? You haven't been here that long, but what are your impressions so far? I mean, it's completely different than New Orleans. Uh, for one, I think what's really exciting for me is that it's a the Tampa Bay area is a much larger metro area than the market I'm used to covering. So that means more restaurants, just the sheer physical number, right? Um, it also means that there, there's a lot more diversity, I think. Like even just driving through like Pinellas Park the other day, I'm driving by Filipino restaurants and Korean and Polish and Indian and Thai and Vietnamese. And so that to me is very exciting. Um, Yeah. That's interesting (laughs) to me because I don't think people necessarily think Tampa Bay and think huge diversity. I know. And that when I was moving here, I didn't hear that from anyone either. But it, I, it, it is. It's true. Is, it's true. It's there. Um, so that's very exciting. I think I'm really, I think the, I love the Cuban food ways here. I love like, you know, to me, that's like really exciting too. That feels like a really important part of Tampa Bay's history too. Um, oh, yeah. And as far as regional foods go, like maybe it's not, you know, the Creole or the Cajun of New Orleans, but I think Cuban food in Tampa is ser- is is a real important and special thing. Oh, right. Yeah. It, it is. So what are the five restaurants that you're itching to get to right oh, away? Oh, gosh, that's a good question um, that I haven't been to yet, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I haven't been to Burns, so oh, yeah. that's, right? that's fun. You'll that's love a it. must. You'll love it. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Ted Peters, the Smoked Fish House, in which is actually very close to where I live, so that I need to go there soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see, three other places that I'm very, super excited about. Or maybe you've already I, yeah. been there because if yeah. you've already been, you probably were got there right away. Yeah. Um, you know, the, one of the first places that I reviewed was Okanola, which I know you guys talked to Anne as yes. well. And um, that for me was really exciting because she, you know, she had such a huge impact on the New Orleans restaurant This scene. is Anne Kearney. Anne Kearney. The yes. executive mm-hmm. chef from Okanola, who also moved here from New Orleans. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, actually, she was in Ohio. For by way, yeah, of, by way Ohio. of Ohio. Right. Um, so she mentored a lot of the chefs, uh, one in particular that I, Kristen Essek, who's a chef in New Orleans, um, that I've always like really admired. So for me coming to Tampa, like I knew the one thing I wanted to do was eat at her restaurant because I was, I wasn't there when she had her restaurant in New Orleans. Like I never got to dine there. Oh, you, I missed it. (laughs) Okay. She had left by time you were there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What did you have? The horseradish dressed crab salad? mm -hmm, Yep. Yeah, so good. What did you love? I love that. I think about that all the time. I love that endive salad. Yes, that was good, too. That one's delicious. Uh, There's this dish with artichokes that is just with this, like, tarragon lemon aioli that's delicious. Oh, I didn't get to that one. what else did I have? Did that you, I really did you like? have the lemon cake? You liked oh, that? I love the yeah, lemon and that's gluten free. Oh yeah, it was good. And the short ribs. Oh, I didn't have the short ribs. Oh, that, that was delicious with I'll cheese go, melted. I'll over. have to go back. Mm-hmm. Was delicious. Okay, so Okinola. Anywhere mm-hmm. else? I went to La Teresita. Um, okay. Yeah, I had a Cuban sandwich there, um, and I had a Cuban at La Segunda, mm-hmm. which was out of this world. Yeah. So good. And then I've had some really good guava pastries. And right. Yeah. That's a. That's I know. It's fun. The yeah. Cuban culture is something special. It really is. Yeah. I want to talk about your life a little bit as a food mm-hmm. critic. So you said you're going out a lot right now because you're trying to get the lay of the land. Like, So do you take people with you? Hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want an invite, oh, <laughs> just yeah. let me know. No, I need people to eat with me. Uh, that's probably, you know, it, when I think about the most challenging thing about my job right now, one is just being new to a place and trying to 
drive as much as I possibly can all over the area and get to know the different restaurants and the people. Um, the other is is I'm new. I don't have you know a ton of friends yet. <laughs> no, I will say everyone at the paper has been so wonderful, and I feel like I've made um, a bunch of really good friends really quickly here, which has been nice. But I always need people to eat with me, and I do my usually what I do when I review a restaurant. I go twice. I like to go once on my own. Um, I feel that that gives me a little bit of time and like sort of the, I don't know, it gives me a little bit of peace when I'm sitting there and I kind of feel like I have a better chance of really taking in the atmosphere. It can be a lot to go with a big group of people because everyone's talking and we're, you know, we're having a good time. And so I do like to do that as well, especially because I need, you know, I need to order as many things on the menu as I possibly can um, to get the best sense of a restaurant. So I love to go the second time with the group. So are you taking notes? I take notes on my phone. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think I read that you're not anonymous. I'm not. No. And how did you make that decision? So I've, you know, I've never been anonymous because uh, when I was, you know, working at the Alt Weekly in New Orleans, I was kind of wearing all the hats, right? So I was doing features. I was doing some investigations. I was doing daily news. So like openings, closings. I was going to a lot of these events. I was judging events. Um, There was never, I mean, because I had to do everything as well as review a restaurant, there was sort of, there was no chance of being anonymous. And New Orleans is also a a lot, like, of a smaller city. And at that point, I had been already in the media as um, someone who was covering crime. So, like, my face was already out there. There, It felt kind of silly to pretend like it wasn't. So when I was moving here, they asked me while I was interviewing, you know, whether I planned on being anonymous and how I felt about that. And I I told them sort of just what I had done so far. And they seemed, I think the idea is that that's a good way of approaching a beat so that I can still do other stories that are not just criticism, if that makes sense. And I wonder how much difference it makes. I could see the service mm-hmm. being better. Oh, my gosh, the restaurant critics is here. Let's make sure we are, are perfect. But the food, how can the food be changed up that much? It really can't. And, I mean, to be honest, it's not like I'm walking in and announcing to everyone, like, oh, I'm here. I always make reservations under, you know, a different name. Do you have fun picking names? <laughs> or do you just <laughs> Yeah, make you know what? Up? I kind of, I, I'm not that great at that. I pick, I, I think of whoever I'm going out to eat with that night, and I use their name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of um, stories, besides reviewing restaurants, I've read mm-hmm. that you're interested in like other kinds of enterprise stories. Yeah. Like, what interests you besides the restaurants? I'm always interested in the people behind the restaurants. So um, for me, labor has always been a really sort of big topic that I've I've tried to tackle here and there mm. in, you know, in other articles that I've written for other publications. Um, and I think here especially, too, it's it's interesting. Like, I think I think wage and like how people are paid. I think I think there's always in, like a topic to discuss surrounding like tips and how, you know, service industry workers are treated. I think healthcare for service industry workers is a really interesting topic. Um and I think now I think with immigration too. I think that you know, that is going to we're going to be seeing a lot more stories that look at um, what the makeup of back of the house labor looks like. It's always it's always amazing to me how many topics food touches on. Oh yeah, because I'm thinking agriculture, mm-hmm. biology, science, and and you're thinking labor, immigration. Yeah. It's just across the board. Oh, There's yeah. so much you can do with it. Definitely, and agriculture is. I mean, that's definitely something that I'm excited about exploring too, especially in Florida. Do you ever get nervous about eating? Like, do you ever think? 
I really don't want to eat that, but I'm a food critic and I have to eat it. I have to be open to it. So, no, I don't because, I mean, I, I eat pretty much everything. Um, really? There, There's nothing that, that... I think if anything, like, you know, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, like the, the duck embryo egg in Vietnam, right? I've had, like, I've eaten that, like... Did I enjoy it? No, not necessarily. But I still was going to try it. And you weren't. Ner- well, maybe you were. A little maybe nervous. I was a little squeamish about that. But yeah. there wasn't. I was never. I never thought. Oh, I'm definitely not going to try this. Maybe if we're talking about like live insects or something along those lines, uh-huh. that might give me pause. Um, but so there's no, none of that in Tampa Bay. I don't think. I know that's the thing. I think I'm pretty safe. So here, you're so. safe here. So I. Saw on your Instagram, follow you on Instagram, oh, yeah. and there you were dancing in the street. <laughs> so what's that about? So I am in a Mardi Gras dance group. Um, so in New Orleans, there are probably, I'm gonna, I don't know the exact number, but I'm going to guess probably around like 50 to 60 different dance groups. Um, men, women, mixed. It, you know, take your pick. And there's a there's a tryout process. Like, it's not like you can just get into one immediately. But they've gotten a lot more. Um, there's so many more that there used to be. So I'm in one of the more, um, I guess, old school groups. We're called the organ grinders. How are you going <laughs> to do it, though? Because what about practicing with them? And- so the good thing is, because I, I did an entire season last year. That was my first year. I know most of the dances. All of the new dances they teach us, they, like, do upload on YouTube. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to have to practice at home by myself. So are you a dancer? <laughs> no, not at all. That yeah. sounds so much fun. I don't think we have that here in Tampa No, Bay, so. I'm not sure that you do. <laughs> I haven't but seen it. Maybe I'll have to start one. You start one. <laughs> we'll go dancing around. Yeah. Well, Helen Freund, thank you so much for being with us. I thank really you for being it. here. Yeah. Did you say thank you for being here? Oh, yeah, I did. Let's do that again. <laughs> you, I'm always here. I'm like, that's like me being the reporter. Like, right? I'm just like... <laughs> Helen Freund is the new food critic for the Tampa Bay Times. Helen, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. There's a lot of talk about the importance of family mealtime, but getting everyone around the table at the same time is more easily said than done. That's where Isabel Lasig comes in. The Dunedin mother of four is the force behind Hashtag Sunday Supper, a weekly virtual dinner party where foodies share recipes and inspiration for family meals. A lot's changed since Isabel posted her first recipe in 2011. Her Sunday supper movement has expanded to include a network of food bloggers and brands. Her Instagram account, at Family Foodie, has more than 50,000 followers now, and her children are all grown up in high school, college, or married with homes of their own. But they still gather for meals when they can. Isabel spoke with our producer, Dalia Cologne, about how to get everyone from toddlers and teenagers involved in family dinners. She also offered ideas for what to serve that'll keep them coming back. So what exactly is the Sunday Supper Movement and how did it get started? Oh, you know what? It's such a great story because it really came together without me realizing that it was going to be a new career. So I love telling this story. And the day that my oldest left for college, so eight years ago, gosh, almost nine years ago now, uh, I asked her, you know, what are you going to miss most about home? And her answer had a really profound effect on me. I have four children. We're a large family. And 
you know, we always try to make a point to gather together on Sunday, shop together, cook together. And her answer to me was, I can't imagine not being home for dinner on Sunday. And it was that aha moment of, wow, the things that are the most important to you as a parent, you know, here's my 18 year old now saying how much that meant to her. What were you expecting her to say? (laughs) I was going to miss my pet or something. Yeah. Well, you know how it is, right? Teenagers, 18 year old. I definitely did not expect that answer. And I wrote my first blog post the day after she left for college, believe it or not. And it was just, I went online, I did a little research, I realized that WordPress, so I knew nothing about this industry or this business, realized that, you know, WordPress is out there. And just, okay, I'm just going to start, you know, just keep, you know, recipes together for my family. And it was the most simple recipe you could imagine. So my kids love pancakes, and I make homemade pancakes for every celebration. So whether it's winning a football game, your birthday, or so I posted um, that recipe for simple pancakes, and had no idea what was ahead. So you were just posting the recipe for your daughter. Yeah, and for our family, I just thought, I'm going to start almost like, you know, a little online recipe box that our family could start, you know, going back to every time that they're looking for a recipe. How did you go from posting a pancake recipe for your family to like mogul status and Sunday (laughs) supper movement? How did that even evolve? People wish that would happen to them. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. Really, I'm self-taught, just, you know, started learning and learning how to market through, you know, online and social media. Um, And one of the things that I quickly realized while doing that was, wow, it's kind of lonely, you know, when you're writing a blog and, you know, you're on your own, you're not getting much feedback, it's hard to stay motivated. So I just started out of the blue reaching out to a couple of different bloggers at the time. And I said to them, you know, I have this great idea. Um, you know, I'm big believer in getting families together on Sunday. You know, would you want to like collaborate with me? And let's do, you know, almost like a potluck kind of Sunday where somebody does the salad, someone does the drink, someone else does the main course, someone does the dessert. So eight of us, this is back in 2011, decided to do the first hashtag Sunday supper. <laughs> and what we realized was it was so much fun you know, to do it together and to promote each other. At the heart of it all is still our mission is to bring families together around the Sunday supper table. And we feel that if you start off as one day a week, it quickly becomes a way of life because you start seeing the benefits, not just in the food that you eat, but how your family's interacting and how it's fun to spend time together. Why Sunday dinner? (laughs) Well, Sunday just seems to be the perfect day. It's a great start to the week. You have a little bit more time. I think, you know, the kids are almost always home. You're not running off to football practice, soccer practice. So I just really felt that Sunday is the perfect day, you know, to have the family come together. What was your childhood like? Did you have those Sunday dinners? What memories do you have? Okay, so I am an only child. And not only am I an only child, I am an immigrant. And my parents had no one else in this country. So it was really just the three of us the entire time growing up. All my cousins were back in Portugal. You know, my childhood was very different than my children's childhood. But I so wanted that sense of family and everyone being home because, you know, 
listen, my parents came here as immigrants. They were here to work. So again, you know, we did have our meals always. My mom cooked dinner just about every night, but it was a very different environment. I have no regrets. I mean, it was a great childhood, but very, very different. I was a latchkey kid, I, you know. <laughs> so I think at the heart of it all, I really wanted that for my family. And then so I think it became, because I was so passionate about it, it became so easy for me to share that part of me with my followers as we grew. Now, what does your Sunday supper at home look like these days? <laughs> so my Sunday supper at home, I have to say, our family, we're huge carnivores. <laughs> so, uh, so we love grilling, of course, living in Florida. Um, so typically we do a lot of steak, a lot of steak on the grill. And you know what's great about steak? And I always say to people, once you find a good piece of meat, all you need is salt and pepper. And it's amazing. So we're, you know, big. We love certified Angus beef. We grill it all the time. Um, you know, and I think maybe I bring a little bit of my roots back because we almost always combine it with some type of seafood. So crab legs, make crab legs all the time, salmon. You know what? Make it meaningful. Make it you know, not about the food, but at the t about the, what you're doing together and that family time. And there's nothing better than finishing dinner and your kids sit and we talk and, you know, they're not rushing out the door. So one of the things that I would do is, and they loved, this was probably their favorite, homemade mac and cheese. And you could double those recipes over and over. And then uh, pulled pork. So that was a huge favorite. Of course, we had to get some veggies and fruit in there. But um, I would say that was probably the number one dish. Um, another one that I do is um, mashed potatoes. But then on top, you do like delicious ground beef seasoned. They love that too. So you have to think about those, you know, it's nutritious, economical, and, you know, also really, really delicious. <laughs> um, before we let you go, I have two little kids at home and a stepdaughter away at college, and it is really tough for our family to eat together. Part of it, I'll be honest, mm -hmm. I don't always enjoy eating with a three-year-old. I don't enjoy getting up from my seat 10 times because somebody wants this and somebody wants that and somebody wants their food too hot, too cold. Um, so a lot of times I just eat dinner by myself, me and Netflix, after they're in bed. What's some advice you can offer for families looking to take the first step? So I would say the main thing is going to be start off slow. You know, don't plan this five-course dinner, which I think so many people, I think that is why it's overwhelming, is they start to think they have to do this and they have to do that. And if you look, my recipes are all really easy, really simple, and you know, start with things that you could do, like pizza twists. I mean, that is so easy, and even little ones could get in on that. And one of the things that I would say that always worked for my kids is no matter what I served, I always had some type of dip. Like, kids love to dip, and it keeps them busy. <laughs> and then for even, like, little ones, think about... Don't think about an entire meal, but think about finger foods, right? They love sitting at their high chair and picking up, you know, little finger foods, and it takes them a while to do all that. So my best recommendation is keep it simple, nutritious, 
<laughs> and get them to have fun with it. And they, they will, even if the first couple of times you're struggling a little bit, if you're keeping it simple and it's fun for them, they're going to want to try more and more and more. So maybe you start with their favorite dip or sauce and then build on that. Oh, that's good. And here's where we are, full, full confession, I guess. Uh, <laughs> here's where we are. We do Friday night movie night oh, on the couch yeah. and we make popcorn on the stove and everybody can put the seasonings that they want. So you've got me thinking that maybe we can just start with something that's not even supper and just build on that. Well, I say that all the time. So the family table could be anywhere. It does not have to be at your kitchen table. If you really think about that, we're a huge football family during football season. It's rare that on a Sunday we will sit at the kitchen table because we are in front of that TV. But one of our absolute favorites, probably the number one that all my kids and their friends will say is pepperoni pizza dip. So we make, you know, pepperoni pizza dip. We know that it's a football Sunday. We just really enjoy that. Well, Isabel Lasik, thank you so much for all these great ideas and I can't wait to try some of your recipes. Thanks so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. was our producer Dalia Cologne speaking with Isabel Lasig, better known on social media as the family foodie. Just in time for football season, Isabel shared her family's favorite game day recipe, easy pepperoni pizza dip. You can find it on our website, thezestpodcast.com. Well, thank you so much for listening. It is so hot in Florida right now, but mint is still growing strong, even in this heat. So, Get the Columbia Restaurant's mojito recipe at our website, zestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. Delia Colon and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.